Welcome back to the Dark Things Podcast. We're going to hop right back into part two of the Salem Witch Trials. If you haven't already listened to part one, I'd highly recommend it. That goes into a little bit of the backstory. Today we're going to talk about the trials and... Hold on. Today we're going to be talking about the trials and the hunt for witches. Stupid, but I love that. Mm-hmm. All right, that's going to get us in the mood. Sorry. <laughs> I feel like swamp hunting right now. I'm going to go get my 22. <laughs> so with some of the prosecutions, the formal prosecutions that went on in, in Salem at this time, uh, the court was called the Court of Oyer and Terminer. And the Court of Oyer and Terminer in Salem town occurred on June 2nd, 1960. 19, sorry occurred in Salem on June 2nd, 1692, with William Stoughton, the new lieutenant governor, as chief magistrate, Thomas Newton as the Crown's attorney prosecuting the cases, and Stephen Seawall as clerk. Bridget Bishop came. Bridget Bishop's case was the first brought to the grand jury who endorsed all the indictments against her. Bishop was described not as a loving pure... Oh my gosh, dude, I'm sorry. No, you're good. I'm having a hard time reading all this crap. Bridget Bishop's case was the first brought to the grand jury who endorsed all the indictments against her. Bishop was described as not living a Puritan lifestyle, for she wore black clothing and odd costumes, which was against the Puritan code. She's just like, (laughs) dude, she's just dressing up as a witch every day. She's like, I'm just going to embrace it. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, fuck it, dude. I'm putting on the hat. I'm going to bring in the black dress. I'm going to have my broom and everything. Um, and, and honestly, this is where we get like the stereotypical Halloween witch, like the black robe, the black hat and the broom yeah. and the cats and stuff. Cause those were like the familiars, like how, how they would communicate with the devil was through with their animals. Yeah. Um, this along with her immoral lifestyle affirmed to the jury that Bishop was a witch. She went to trial the same day and was convicted on June 3rd. The grand jury endorsed indictments against her, Rebecca nurse and John Willard but they did not go to trial immediately for reasons which are unclear. Bishop was executed by hanging on June 10th, 1692. Okay, so they hung her. They didn't burn her at the stake. Yeah. That's that's very unorthodox of them. (laughs) Dude, I like... (laughs) Yeah, like, I I don't know. Okay, I'm just blown back because with witches, yeah, there's a whole process. And like you're saying, they burn them, but they're like, you know what? Fuck it. We're just going to hang your ass. We're not even going to like yeah, build the fire. They've literally been following policy up until this point. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the, it was close to, wait, hold on. This was June. So was, maybe they were like, we got to save our firewood. <laughs> Actually, you know instead. what? That's what I was thinking. Like, they probably already burned down the entire forest already killing yeah. people. <laughs> Used up their whole winter stock of firewood. Um, so their collective response came back dated June 15th, and this was composed by Cotton Mather. So number one, the afflicted state of our poor neighbors that are now suffering by molestations from the invisible world 
we apprehend so deplorable that we think their condition calls for the utmost help of all persons in several capacities. 2. We cannot but, with all thankfulness, acknowledge the success which the merciful God has given unto the sedulous and assiduous endeavors of our honorable rulers to detect the abominable witchcrafts which have been committed in the country, humbly praying at the discovery for those mysteries and mischievous wickedness may be perfected. Okay, so the... <laughs> like, he's literally saying we thank God and we thank our judges for finding abominable witchcraft. So literally, they're just pulling this stuff out of their asses yeah. at this point. Yeah, straight up. Like, this is all a show, like you mentioned in part one. He's saying... Like, oh, people are dying, which, you know, it's the 1690s. Of course people are going to die. You're living in frontier America. Yep, with no medical services whatsoever. Yeah, and the people that are probably trying to get medicine, like the women who are mixing herbs and making, like, concoctions to heal, those are people that you're killing off. Yep, the only people that have some kind mm -hmm. of help, you know? Yep. So Cotton continues point three by saying, we judge that in the prosecution of all these and such witchcrafts, There is need of a very critical and exquisite caution, least by too much credulity for things received only upon the devil's authority there be a door opened for a long train (laughs) of miserable consequences and Satan get an advantage over us, for we should not be ignorant of his devices. Oh my god. (laughs) Dude, I'm already over it, dude. Fuck this guy. Dude, this guy is literal trash. Like, he is literally... there is no personal responsibility in the, any of this situation. Oh. It is all blaming of the, the devil and God. Did you know how nice it would be? Like, okay, I would actually never want to be in his shoes. But you know how cush is this guy living when he can just point his finger, like, fuck you, you're a witch, you're gone, see ya. Oh, you're, you don't like me? Okay, fuck you, you're a witch too, Yeah. see ya. Yeah, and then he just says, oh, the devil's with you, or oh, you worship the devil, or, you know, God is not going to permit you to live. Like, this guy is literal... He's a murderer. Yeah. He's literally doing a crusade against these people because he thinks like that God wants them dead. Straight up. He's just so misguided in this case. That's horrible. Um, so as in complaints upon witchcrafts, there be matters of inquiry, which do not amount unto matters of presumption. And there may be masters of presumption, which yet may not be matters of conviction. So it is necessary that all proceedings there, thereabout be managed with an exceeding tenderness towards those that may be compiled of, especially if they have been persons formerly of unblemished reputation. And so I was just kind of thinking about what we just said, like about this guy, he's trying to do it for notoriety in like the fact that he's a Puritan and he's like, well, the more people I kill that are have, that have like communed with the devil, the more holy I get. Yeah. He kind of has a parallel to the, the guy we were talking about before. Um, you know the guy in England? Right. The Witchfinder General? Hold on. His name was Matthew Hopkins. Matthew Hopkins came of prominence in England in 1620 through 1647. And it was like during the Civil English Civil War, he claimed to hold the office of Witchfinder General. And that title was never like officially given to him by the government, but he was so popular back in that day, he was a celebrity. Yeah. Like he would go to cities in England and be like, She's a witch, she's a witch, she's a witch. Killer, killer, killer. And then he, they would be like, oh, thank you, you've saved this town from, like, the curse of the devil and stuff. Where literally, like, he did not know the backstory of any of these women. Or, like, a town would send for him and say, hey, we have a lady here who 
is cursing our children in the town. Will you come here and convict her? And he'd show up and be like, yep, she's a witch. No evidence. And they would burn her. This guy's probably making some good money. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he did it for money, too. So he was famous. And the fact that he was like, he considered himself the witch finder general, like that's considered to be like a cabinet position. Yeah. That's like, I'm an attorney general. That would be the equivalent of an attorney general in the U.S. today. Dude, imagine this guy's personality. Probably like the biggest narcissist on the planet, dude. Like, I'm literally a god. I am a witch general. Oh, I yeah, will yeah. find anyone. Yep. That is no, that's exactly what his reputation was. Like, he had pamphlets. He writ book. He wrote. He had written books. Just everything, dude. It was this guy was just got famous off killing women. So self enveloped, dude. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and he was a very bougie, posh guy. Like, he had a lot of money, and he would just go, and he was basically a celebrity when he came to town. You know what's pretty funny is, like, obviously this is, like, a huge religious time period, but I'm sure he was, like, getting around, you know? Like, sleeping around, and then also condemning witches. I'm sure. Like, everything he was doing in his lifestyle probably could have condemned himself as a witch for. Well, and, like, you never even know, because he would, like, examine, he would be a part of these examinations of women as well. And they always involved, like, looking into, like, the orifices of women as too. So if he sees someone and he's like, we need to examine her for witchcraft, it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're going to. Dude, and I bet it's even creepier than that. He's probably like, we need to examine this one. I will do it myself. And it's yeah. like, yeah, no, that's no. not how this works. Yep. And then to prevent her from talking, he just burns her the next day. Oh, fuck. You know what I mean, though? Like, that's yeah. what's going on, though. Yeah. Well, it's we, disgusting. And we can't even, like, I mean, obviously we're speculating, but, like, this shit goes on all around the world. So it's not even a question. Like, that is definitely a possibility, you know? Absolutely. But okay, we can continue back into Cotton's points. This crazy guy, like this, is literally the American Matthew Hopkins. <laughs> like, and you know, maybe he even heard of Matthew Hopkins because this is happening sixty years later. Yeah, in the colonies. Dude, he's like, damn, we need to bring this shit back. He's like, all right, Matthew Hopkins, that guy was badass. I'm gonna be the American Matthew Hopkins, dude. And I bet how that all started too. Is he's probably sitting at home, like, damn, dude, I hate fucking butchering meat and you know chopping it up for people to sell how can i make some good money and also sleep around at the same time huh this guy seemed to have a trick let me try this out maybe yeah yeah that or just create your own religion for real and that was already that has already happened so (laughs) so and that's that's too competitive of a business at this point oh yeah you can't start if you're gonna do that you need to start that shit in the 1600s you cannot start that now yep um so going on, it says presumptions whereupon persons may be committed and much more convictions whereupon persons may be condemned as guilty of witchcrafts ought certainly to be more considerable than barely the accused persons being represented by a specter in, unto the afflicted. Inasmuch as it is undoubted and notorious thing that a demon may, by God's permission, appear even to ill purposes in the shape of an innocent, yea, and virtuous man, nor can we esteem alterations made in the sufferers by a t- by a look or a touch of the accused to be an infallible evidence of guilt but frequently liable to be abused by the devil's legger domain um and then the next point it says we know not whether some remarkable affronts given to the devils by our disbelieving these those testimonies whose whole force and strength is from them alone may not put a period unto the progress of the dreadful calamity begun upon us in the accusations of so many persons, wherefore some, we hope, are yet clean from the great transgressions laid unto unto their charge. Nevertheless, we cannot but humbly recommend unto the government the speedy and vigorous prosecution 
of such and has rendered themselves obnoxious according to the direction given in the laws of God and the wholesome status of the English nation for the detection of the witchcrafts. So they're referencing the, the witch craze in England of the 1620s yeah. uh, through 1650s. So they, were, they obviously knew about what was going on over there. And then they had their own craze in Salem. Um, just kind of looking into this, maybe, I don't know, what do you think about it? Uh, what, specifically? Just like, do you think this is just kind of like a copycat? Because the English witch trials were nationwide. Yeah. The Salem witch trials were just in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Yeah. Um, I don't know, dude, because like this whole time period is just, it's a witch fetish. They are so fascinated by this that it literally took over, I mean, the whole entire town, obviously, but like, I think it was definitely um, pulled from England. Because they had this, you know, shit going on before, and England is where this basically all stemmed from. Like, I'm, I'm sure they got their roots from other places, but this is where Salem's pulling it from. They know this happened in England, and they're really bringing that shit back. And because of the isolationism, all it takes is one person to bring that shit up. The whole town's going to talk about it. And now you have a problem. Absolutely, you know. Yeah. So, and like you said, it really was like such a huge fascination. Like they are scared of it and everything of witches and all this but it literally was like a hobby a pastime straight it was like people would form jobs around hunting witches when like if you look about it now like i know it's not as extreme but you look at millennials and their fascination is horoscopes mostly females but it's like everyone's like oh yeah we gotta talk about horoscopes like are we compatible blah blah blah. it's like okay like you know it's just different you know different time period different time different people but there's always something that comes up and people are just going to freak out about it. Dude, any know? girl that believes in horoscopes is a witch and we should burn them. Yeah, we should. <laughs> well, or maybe we could employ what this guy was doing and just hang him instead. It's like it's like Karen is on your on your dating app, right? You swipe right on Karen and she's like, "Oh, um, what what uh what is it called? What's your what's your sign?" Yeah. And you're like, "Oh, I'm an Aries." She's like, "Oh, I'm a Scorpio. That means that we're not compatible and you're just so and so and so." It's like, "No, Karen, you're just a bitch." <laughs> like if they don't, don't match before you say it doesn't that. matter you're a gemini you're just a bitch karen yeah like you can't blame your bitchiness on being a gemini dude that shit's so funny so like <laughs> i don't do uh dating apps anymore but when i did it was so funny because like you know you're gonna swipe left on certain things you see like you know make america great again swipe you know get that shit out of there <laughs> i'm not i'm not matching with you but then it's funny too because girls would like make a requirement list i'm like bitch who do you think you are like if you're gonna yeah. put a requirement list you're not gonna get any matches no one cares a shit like any shits about you i know, you know? that i've seen that too and it's just crazy like it's cringy you literally have a checklist yeah and you're posting it on there and it's like and usually they're ugly as hell too i'm like you have no right to say what you are looking for you have yeah. no right i'm sorry <laughs> well and the checklist is usually something crazy like has to make at least sixty thousand a year has to have a college degree has yep. to be you know a good church boy yep it's like can't hell? have any kids yeah, no kids no divorces <laughs> need to have your own house so i can live there with you nine yeah. inch dick <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, like the one percent of the population that actually has that. Like you're gonna find like maybe three dudes in every state that actually has a nine inch dick. Dude, that's why she's casting the net out. <laughs> she's trying to find the one, one of the three. That she's gonna try to catch. She's gonna be fishing for a long time, my friend. She's gonna be on Tinder till she's fifty. Meanwhile, she's this like nasty chick. Anyways, okay, sorry to get off topic. Yeah, back um, to witches. Witches. Witches, not bitches. That's, that's what right. we're talking about today. <laughs> 
the true bitches are the people that are prosecuting these these innocent women. Oh, straight up. <laughs> All right, you want me to hop in? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so tying off that list that we went through, uh, Hutchinson sums the letter. The two first and the last sections of the advice book, uh, sorry, of this advice, took away the force of all the others. And the prosecutions went on with more vigor than before. Reprinting the letter years later and uh, Magnolia, Cotton Mather left their, okay, sorry. Uh, years later in Magnolia, Cotton Mather left out these two first and the last sections. Major Nathaniel Solenstall uh, resigned from the court on about June 16th, presumably dissatisfied with the letter and that it had not outright barred the admission of spectral evidence. According to Upham, Solenstall deserves the credit for being the only public man of his day who had the sense or courage to condemn the proceedings at the start. Uh, more people were accused, arrested, and examined, but now in Salem Town by former local magistrates John Hawthorne, Jonathan Corwin, and Bartholomew Gedney, who had become judges of the court of Oyer and Terminer. Uh, suspect Roger Toothtaker, Toothhacker. <laughs> God damn. Yeah, he would be a suspect, right? He's a Toothhacker. <laughs> Anyway, he died in prison on June 16th, uh, 1692. Okay, thank goodness there's at least one person in this whole story that has their head on straight. Yeah. The Salton Stall, he got credit for being the only public man of his day who had the sense or courage to condemn the proceedings at the start. Like, Dude, the only man. <laughs> and that's, uh, I, I'm pretty sure we all know how that ends. He probably died as a witch. <laughs> probably. But honestly, okay, like, okay, let's put ourselves in their in their shoes for a minute, which is hard because we have like such a greater understanding of it now yeah but if you were if back then like this whole witch craze caught up with your small town like even people in the surrounding towns would probably go to these trials oh yeah it's like hey let's go to the trials because literally every day we chop wood we work in the fields yep we go to bed like that is and then on sunday go to church that is literally your life yeah in this time Dude, this is straight up like a musical play every this day. This is like something that's once in a lifetime that you travel to see. Yeah. And you want it to go on because you're like, hell yes. <laughs> like this is, there's public executions, there's yeah. blood, there's entertainment, there's court, there's drama. Like this, that's could be one of the driving forces behind it. Like, oh, I'm sure. This gets you away from the mundane life of uh, 17th century colonial America. Right. Well, okay. And here's the crazy thing. If you're like this much of a perfectionist when it comes to religion, I'm sure this has got to be a power trip, especially if you're a woman when you have no power at all and you have the ability to take on the devil and then purposely get other people executed because you call them out as a witch, even though you're being a witch as well. It is completely a show. Yeah. The fact that they named the court, the court of Oyer and Terminer, like it has like this crazy cool name. Yeah. And then they have grand juries and indictments and just like, prosecutions and stuff like this is all a show for public and you know what's interesting too is this is basically a grand scale like social experiment really it is it really is just because it's so isolated and i'm glad that we have evidence of this stuff and we can actually read letters and there actually is you know like actual physical evidence of these things happening because we can learn so much from it oh for sure about what an ice what happens in an isolated town where you have a magistrate, a priest who hold all control. Yeah. It's interesting stuff. Things um, get bloody. 
and we're going to get into that. You want me to keep going? Go ahead. Okay, let's go. All right, so from June 30th through early July, grand juries endorsed indictments against Sarah Good, Elizabeth Howe, Susan uh, Martin, Elizabeth Proctor, John Proctor, Martha Carrier, Sarah Wilds, and Dorcas Whore. Dude, that name. <laughs> Dude, okay. I think it just gets to the point where it's like, all right, John Proctor, you're a witch. Sarah Proctor, you're a witch. Dorcas Whore. <laughs> Come to the stand. We don't like your name. You're a witch. You're a whore, literally. So we're going to burn Dorcas. You. <laughs> okay, is that a man or a woman? Dude, I hope it's I don't know. I don't <laughs> at this point it doesn't matter, dude. They're dead. Just for their name. All right. The Puritans like, how in the hell did this bitch get this name in our Puritan society? Dude. Who named this chick Dorcas Whore? <laughs> they didn't think that one through. <laughs> Someone wasn't thinking. Her parents should be burned as well. Someone found some interesting <laughs> mushrooms when they were naming their child. God. All right. So we got some interesting people dying here. Um, Sarah Good, Elizabeth Howe, um, all the way down to Rebecca Nurse. So these people went to trial at this time, all those people we just listed, uh, where they were found guilty. All five women were executed by hanging on July 19th, 1692. Hey, that's bullshit. Whenever I think of the... the I'm not I'm not saying like it's bullshit. It's bullshit. I wanted a burning, dude. I yeah. wanted a burning. That's what Because whenever to do. you see witches get executed, it's a burning, not a hanging. Yeah. Like what is this? Dude, they I don't know, bro. Like they're definitely mixing traditions here. Like <laughs> I'm disappointed, honestly. I thought we were gonna have some burnings. That's what it's supposed to be, right? Or at least the Monte Grill Python, you know, excuse where like they can float, you know, just drown yeah. them in the water. Burner. Like, <laughs> burner. Um, yeah, so we got that. Does anyone day. get burned in this story? Dude, I Besides thought... Dorcas, whore. She got burned all her life for that name. <laughs> <laughs> I want actual fire to burn these people. Like, I'm sick. I don't want to hear about their hangings. Yeah, I'm over it, dude. They're doing it wrong. They, they need to go back in time. I'm disappointed, honestly. <laughs> this, they... is, this whole story is a letdown. Dude, if they were more educated, they would have known that they could have burned them. I don't know. All right, so... Damn um, it, dude. Damn it. <laughs> this story, dude. So three days later, after this trial, these ladies are all hanged, um, unfortunately. Uh, would have been better if they were burned. <laughs> so, um, In mid-July, the constable in Andover invited the afflicted girls from Salem Village to visit with his wife to try to determine who was inviting the afflicted girls from... Wait, hold up. In mid-July, the constable in Andover invited the afflicted girls from Salem Village to visit with his wife to try to determine who was causing her afflictions. Anne Foster, her daughter, um, Mary Lacey Sr., and a granddaughter, Mary Lacey Jr., all confessed to being witches. Anthony Checkley was appointed by Governor Phipps to replace Thomas Newton as the Crown's attorney and when Newton took an appointment in New Hampshire. In August, grand juries indicted... Indicted? What is that? Indicted, right? Indicted. Indicted. There we go. Okay. In August, grand juries indicted George Burroughs, Mary East, uh, Mary Eastley, Martha Corey, and George Jacobs Sr. Uh, trial juries convicted Martha Carrier, George Jacobs Sr., George Burroughs, John Willard, Elizabeth Proctor, and John Proctor. Uh, Elizabeth Proctor was given a temporary stay of execution because she was pregnant. How nice. On August 19th. With the, with the devil's baby. Yeah, with the devil's baby. <laughs> God. Dude, this is so fucked, bro. Okay, on August 19, 1692, Martha Carrier, George Jacob Sr., George Burroughs, and John Millard, and John Proctor were all executed. Damn. Okay, and I'll get this last one as well. By hanging or burning? 
They need to clarify. I'm going to assume by hanging. <laughs> probably. Or, you know what? Fuck it, dude. They're doing such crazy shit. They're probably actually executing with the, you know, the axe and the, and the Maybe, head, yeah. head base thing. And they were, and all of those men that you read off were on that list George Jacobs, George Burroughs, John Willard, John Proctor. Yep. See you, John Proctor. It's nice knowing you. Oh, the crucible. Back to those days. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Burroughs was carried in a cart with others through the streets of Salem to his execution. When he was upon the ladder, he made a speech for the clearing of his innocency. With such solemn and serious expressions as were to the admiration of all present, his prayer, which he concluded by repeating the Lord's Prayer, as witches were not supposed to be able to recite at the time, was so well worded and utterly with such composedness of such fervency of spirit as was very affecting and drew tears from so many so that it seemed to have some of the spectators would hinder the execution. The accuser said the black man, or the devil. Oh my god. <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> Stood. <laughs> god damn it, bro. Mm-hmm. We're gonna play that music right there, dude. Pause for musical break. <laughs> okay, hold up, hold up. <laughs> okay i could have gotten through that if it wasn't for andrew's reaction <laughs> so the accusers say the black man and then in parentheses it says devil stood and dictated to him as soon as it, he was turned off or hanged oh my god <laughs> Dude, it's funny too because writing these notes and like getting it all together, like I know I've read this, but just hearing it, like actually listening to you say it, it's like, oh my god, bro. It's so bad. Turned off. Mr. Cotton Mather, being mounted upon a horse, addressed himself to the people party to declare that he was no ordained minister, partly to possess the people of his guilt, saying that the devil often had been transformed into the angel of light. And this did somewhat appease the people. And as the executions went on. <laughs> okay, so it didn't do anything. <laughs> He's like, like, oh. Yeah, oh, like sorry, that guy's going. death. Because people felt bad for this guy, right? Like, he yeah. literally, he declared his innocence. He re- re- recited all these scriptures. And he's, and he's crying. like this holy guy, and all these people are crying. And then Mather's like, well, shit, I got to rain control the crowd again. Yeah. You know? Or else they're going to, like, come. So that just proves that this guy knows yep. he's a terrible human being. Straight that up. proves it. Well, okay, the thing that gets me, though, is this guy actually crying. Like, he's literally about to be hanged. He's crying. He's giving his little, like, spiel. Everyone's emotionally, like, rot because of this. And then this guy has the audacity to be like, yeah, sometimes the devil can be an angel, actually. And this guy right now is being an angel. He's being inspired by God to say the things he is. But he's still a witch, so fuck him. Hang him. Like, that's literally how it turned out. Turn him off. Yeah. (laughs) Dude. Dude, you you just know that he knows what he's doing then. Oh, yeah. If he's trying to, like, make these... But, okay, let's hypothesize for a second, right? Like, he's got to be getting some kind of power trip from this, right? Like, he's got to, like, he's got to feel something when he's, like, executing these people. And then immediately after, I'm sure he's feeling remorse. But, like, in the moment, he's like, dude, I have so much power. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. You know? Like, he's literally dragging people to their deaths. And he doesn't even get off of his horse at an execution. Like, that just proves he's an asshole. Yeah. Like, I am going to stay on my horse. There's a reason why there's that saying, up on your high horse. Because people like that didn't get off their horse and join the crowd at the execution. They sat on their horse because it was literally a physical showing of, I am am more elevated than you. Yeah, you're above everyone. I'm better than you. So you know this guy is doing this. Yeah. 
Man. Oh, fuck this guy. <laughs> Dude, okay. Just, okay, you continue on with the next one. Okay, uh, I'm just double-checking where we ended. With September, right? Yeah, September. Okay. All right. Um, September 1692. In September, grand juries indicted 18 more people. That's a lot. The grand jury failed to indict William Proctor, who was rearrested on new charges. On September 19, 1692, uh, Giles Corey refused to plead at arraignment and was killed by pain forte et dure, a form of torture in which the subject is pressed beneath an increasingly heavy load of stones in an attempt to make him enter a plea. <laughs> That's so messed up. God, dude, four pleaded guilty, and 11 others were tried and found guilty. Dude, okay, they are literally just doing a whole hosh-posh of every form of execution. They're doing the stone, you know, stacking. They're hanging. There's like, still no burnings yet, though. No. So there- maybe that comes later. Hopefully. All right, I'm holding out for <laughs> hope then. Um, yeah, dude. Like, just saying that we're going to put you under a bunch of stones until you confess. That's fucked. That guy must have had some crazy willpower. Yeah. Like, he knows. Because, honestly, if that was if I was in his place, I'd probably confess to a false charge, too. Yeah. If I'm getting stones stacked on top of me. But here's the thing, though. Like, okay, if you're getting stones stacked on you, right? Like, even if you do plea, you're probably going to plea at the point where you're about to die. And then when they go to remove the stones, do you even live through it? So basically, you give this forced confession, but then you're dead before you even get the stones removed. That's true. Or you confess, and then you're you're hanged. <laughs> like, either way, you're going to die. There's no way out. Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry, my cat's uh, hanging over and <laughs> looking at us creepily. Yeah, either way, you're going to die. So there's really no point to confess or not confess. That's true. Oh, God, I hate this, dude. I hate it so it's much. It's frustrating. <laughs> Literally, if you get put in that situation, you're dead. Yeah. But and I don't think people realize that either, though. No. That's probably why there were so many forced confessions. Yeah. Well, it's like I don't know, like this whole time period and like the whole timeline of this. Um, it's interesting that the previous guy who was like crying before he was executed almost got out of it. He was the first dude that literally almost changed everything. Because yep. imagine if he um, was not executed and they're like, "Oh, damn, we fucked up." That probably would have erased a lot of what happens after. I think so, too. You know? I think the public would have had a different, like, I think the public would have taken a step back. Because a lot of these people are uneducated people. Yep. They can't read. They can't write. Um, they can only speak. And they get played very easily. Yep. Very gullible. And this is a sort of spectacle for them as well. So by them saying, oh, let's go watch a hanging of someone we don't even know or someone we do know, this is going to be a good, a good time. Yeah. Well, and imagine what happens if you speak out. Because, like, that one guy that had an opportunity to speak out was basically thrown under the bus and nothing was, you know, heard like that again. But if you were to publicly speak out for the most part, you're just going to be accused as a witch, right? Or you're going to be looked as, like, an idiot. They're going to be like, damn, this guy literally knows nothing about what he's talking about. You know? Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, you want me to keep going? Or you want yeah, to... go ahead. Okay. Uh, on September 20th, Colton Mother wrote to Stefan Sawal, that I may be more capable to assist in lifting up a standard against the infernal enemy, requesting a narrative of the evidence given at the trials of half a dozen, or if you please, a dozen, of the principal witches that have been condemned. On September 22, 1692, eight more persons were executed. After execution, Mr. Noyes, turning him to the body, said, What a sad thing it is to see eight firebrands of hell hanging there. Dude, that is so fucked, bro. That is. 
Oh yeah, he just sees, he doesn't see them as innocent people. He sees them as firebrands of hell. Hey, I'm going to let you uh, start this next paragraph just for you. <laughs> All right, we're going to get back to our famous Miss Dorcas Whore. Yep. Uh, Dorcas Whore was given a temporary reprieve with the support of several ministers to make a confession of being a witch. Mary Bradbury, who was 77, managed to escape with the help of family and friends. Abigail Faulkner Sr. was pregnant and given a temporary reprieve. Mather quickly completed his account of the trials, uh, Wonders of the Invisible World, I guess was the book's name, and it was given to Phipps, in which he returned from the fighting in Maine. Returned from the fighting? Was there a fight in Maine? Oh, I don't know. And it was given to Phipps. Burr says both Phipps' letter and Mather's manuscript must have, go- must have gone to London by the same ship by mid-October. I hereby declare that as soon as I came from fighting and understood what danger some of their innocent subjects might be exposed to if the evidence of the afflicted persons did only prevail, either to the committing or trying any of them, I did before any application was made unto me put a stop to the proceedings of the court, and they are now stopped till their majesty's pleasure be known. So that was from Governor Phipps, Oof. and that was sent to the King of England as well. Because, like, the King of England didn't know any of this stuff was going on. Yeah, he has no idea. Like, literally, the Crown's attorney is getting involved with all this stuff, and it's all just hogwash. Yep. And they're just killing innocent people. So the fact that the, the King of England got word of this, and I don't know who the King of England was at the time, George III, maybe, but, um, yeah, just... he. Finally got whiff of it, of what was going on. Dude, I know. Like, imagine hearing about it at this point in time. Like, so many people have died. Yeah, we have a high body count already. And those numbers are, like, doubling by day. Like, the coronavirus numbers that are going up right now, like, Salem witch trials have that beat. They're, like, doubling and tripling that shit by day. By the day. They're just processing them, like, crazy. And a lot of the times, like, you'll you'll have the court in the morning and then the hanging by afternoon. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely not enough time to bring any type of evidence or defense up. No. Well, and it's like, what are they doing with these bodies? Like, I'm not sure if they mentioned it at this point, but, like, you're telling me they're burying eight people a day, and who's doing it? Like, people have got shit to do, you know? I don't know if they are burying them. Who knows if they even are? They're just leaving them there? Well, I mean, they left them hanging for a while. That's true. God, dude. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right, next up, we got the Superior Court of Judicature in 1693. So this is where the main shit goes down with um, the whole case. So we're going to get into that. All right, in January ni- 1693, the new Superior Court of Judicature, Court of Assize and the General Gall or Jail, delivery convened in Salem, Essex County. Again, headed by William Stoughton as Chief Justice with Anthony Checkley continuing as the Attorney General and Jonathan Elatson as Clerk of the Court. The first five cases tried in January 1693 were of the five people who had been indicted but not tried in September. Those are Sarah Buckley, Marguerite Jacobs, Rebecca Jacobs, Mary Whitridge or Withridge, and Job Tukey. All were found not guilty. Grand juries were held for many of those remaining in jail. Charges were dismissed against many, but 16 more people were indicted and tried, three of whom were found guilty. Elizabeth Johnson Jr., Sarah Wardley, and Mary Post. Now, before we continue, I think it's interesting that they, like, try 16 more people. But before that, they had found, what was it, about five, maybe six people not guilty. So I'm wondering at this point if it's, like, they're trying people 
but they feel so horrible about all the people they've hanged that they're like, oh, you're not guilty. We're just going to let some people go. Yeah, because out of those 16, only three of them are found guilty. Yeah. So there's 13 that walk away. So maybe at this point they realize we screwed up and they're kind of trying to put the brakes on. Right, because they don't explain why they're not guilty, right? No, they don't. Just... At this point, it was like, if it, before all this, if you were even tried, you're going to die probably. Yep. If you were accused, that's going to just start your downfall. There's no getting out of it at that point. Right. But now there's actually trials where people are just like, okay, she's free, she's good, because there's a change of heart, it feels like. Right. So when Stoughton wrote the warrants for the execution of these three and others remaining from the previous court, Governor Phipps issued pardons, sparing their lives. And so maybe that letter to the king went somewhere. Like, he read it and stuff, and he's like, hey, you got to put a stop to this. Like, <laughs> we had this shit happen 60 years ago. Yeah. You got to put an end to this, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Because they had literally just seen the horrors of this 50, 60 years ago. Right. Um, so Governor Phipps issued the pardons to the women, and in January, early February, the court sat down again in Charleston, Middlesex County, and held grand juries and tried five people. Sarah Cole, Lydia D- Dustin, Sarah Dustin, Mary Taylor, and Mary Toothaker. Toothtaker. <laughs> <laughs> must, be the hus- must be the wife of uh, Thomas Toothtaker. Yeah. Um, all were found not guilty, but were not released until they paid all their jail fees. Lydia Dustin died in jail. Oh, dude, that's sad. So she didn't even have, she couldn't even pay to get out of jail. Nope. At the end of April, and another thing that's important to note is a lot of these women are widows. Yeah. Single women who have no other means to survive than going out and doing things themselves. Right. And that was a big red flag for men is seeing these women out doing, being independent and doing all this stuff because they're like, ah, no, can't have that. Yep. And so that's also really sad because if she's in jail, she obviously is not going to have enough money yep. to pay. I mean, she, yeah. she might have even had the money at her house, but she's, there's no way she's going to be able to get out of jail to go get the money. Which is another interesting thing because people at the top could be like, well, this person over here, this widow, has a lot of money that they're sitting on. And if we kill them as a witch, then we can take what they have. Yeah, take their property and everything. Yeah, for sure. I um, mean, like there's so many different, different ways this could go why you would want to accuse someone so many ulterior motives so at the end of april the court convened in boston suffolk county and cleared captain john alden by proclamation it heard charges against a servant girl mary watkins for falsely accusing her mistress of witchcraft in may the court convened in ipswich essex county and held a held a variety of grand juries they dismissed charges against all but five susanna post eunice fry mary bridges jr mary baker and william barker jr were all found not guilty at trial, finally putting an end to the series of trials and executions. Executions. So that servant girl is an interesting one because you have a prominent guy, Captain John Alden. I mean, he's a captain. That's going to be a prominent job. And he probably has a very prominent wife. And the servant girl, Mary Watkins, accuses the, the mistress of witchcraft. And it yep. just gets thrown right out the window. Like, mm-hmm. nope, nope, can't be her. She's too prominent in society. She has too much money. She's the wife of a captain. Like, it's just messed up. Yeah. Like, we're not going to... And that happens even today. If you have enough money and power, you can get away with so much shit. Exactly. We see that all the time. Biden and Trump right now literally have so many sexual allegations Mm -hmm. against them. And And no, it's not going to go anywhere. We don't bat an eye. Nope. You pay them enough money, they shut up, and you're done. And like that that Epstein documentary on Netflix, there was so much evidence against him, and it went on for so long. Yep. They could have nipped it in the bud. You know, in the in the early 90s, but it kept on going until 
the late 2000 and like 19 or 18. Yeah, well, arrested. I mean, it, it just it, history repeats itself. People in power do fucked up shit, and it gets you know slid out the window. People mm-hmm. don't even bat an eye. It's like whatever. Definitely, you know. Yep. So. Um, yeah, we got the legal procedures we're going to hop into. So um, starting with the overview, after someone concluded that a loss, illness, or death had been caused by witchcraft, the accuser entered a complaint against the alleged witch with the local magistrates. If the complaint was deemed credible, the magistrates had the person arrested and brought in for a public examination, essentially an interrogation where the magistrates pressed the accused to confess. If the magistrates at the local level were satisfied that the complaint was well-founded, the prisoner was handed over to be dealt with by the superior court. In 1692, the magistrates opted to wait for the arrival of the new charter and governor, who would establish a court of Oyer and Terminer to handle these cases. The next step at the superior court level was to summon witnesses before a grand jury. And then lastly, I'll let Hunter carry on after this one. A person could be indicted, indicted of charges of afflicting with witchcraft and for making an unlawful covenant with the devil. Once indicted, the defendant went to trial, sometimes on the same day as in the case of the first person indicted and tried on June 2nd, Bridget Bishop, who was executed eight days later on June 10th, 1692. So it's interesting they got this system going on, you know? Magistrates will kind of do like an interview interrogation where they get you to confess and after that, you just go up the levels, and eventually you're killed. Well, so I'm actually reading what Oyer and Terminer means, because that that's foreign to me. Yeah. Uh, Oyer and Terminer is a translation from the Anglo-French um, Oyer and Terminer, which means literally to hear and determine. Okay. So it's a commission, meaning we're going to hear the case, and then we're going to just determine it right then and there. Yeah. There's no lawyers. There's no legal representation. It's you tell us, the public tells us what's going on, we determine. Yep. Judge, jury, execution, like that. There's not even a jury. Nope. It's just, yeah, it's not. A perfect system. No flaws here. <laughs> no flaws here. This looks perfect. Oh, I think should we, we should reinstate this in society right now. So a person, let's see. Oh, hold on. You already read that. There were four execution dates with one person executed on June 10th, 1692, five executed on July 19th, 1692, um, and another five executed on August 19th, 1692 as well. Uh, eight on September 22nd, 1962, and several others, including Elizabeth Proctor, Abigail Faulkner, were convicted but given temporary reprieves because they were pregnant. So I wonder if they just waited till after they had their baby to kill them. <laughs> oh, God, okay, like, I know this is horrible. There's no way to get around it. But if you're a woman, and it's hard to speculate because obviously they were dudes, but like, would you rather be killed with your child or after you've seen them born? Because I feel like it's harder after you've seen them born because it's yeah. like, that's my kid. I don't even get to raise them, you know? Yeah. And if the husband's not there, who's going to raise it? It's just going to go to another family. True. Yeah. I mean, but here's the other thing, too. What do they do with the hangings where they were pregnant? Because there was one, I believe, right, where they were pregnant and they hung that we talked about on the previous episode. They just died. Uh, uh, this is yeah. so problematic. They just died. Uh, Giles Corey was an 81-year-old farmer, and that's a crazy <laughs> old age for this time, too. Like, to live, it, to live to be 81 years old. Did you know what happened here? They literally got to the point where, like, we're tired of killing people. Let's just kill the people that are about to die. <laughs> right? And childbirth probably, too, was, like, maybe even a death sentence in this time. Yeah. But, yeah, you got an 81-year-old farmer um, from the southeast end of Salem. He refused to enter a plea when he came to trial in September. 
The judges applied an archaic form of punishment called pene forte et dure, which were the stones being piled upon his chest until he could no longer breathe. After two days of pene forte et dure, Corey died without entering a plea. Two days of having stones laid on you. Fuck that, dude. And the guy's 81. Like, that should, that's a hate crime. Like, that's against dude. old people. Yeah, straight up. Dude, I'd be laying there for 10 seconds, and I'd be like, all right, it was me. I'm a yeah. witch. Just take yeah. the shit off. His refusal to plea is usually explained as a way of preventing his estate from being confiscated by the crown. Oh, okay. So if he would have pleaded, the crown would have confiscated his estate, which would have been just the local government there. Yeah. That's probably why they did it. They're just like, yeah. you know what? We're, we want his land. We don't want it to go up for auction. Let's just kill him and Dude. make him plea. But let's be real here, though. Like, this guy's a literal god. Breaking bones, fragile as hell. He lays there with rocks on him for two days. Yeah. This guy's a beast. And they just keep lower, They just keep putting more and more rocks on top of him. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. So it says that um, Corey's death was a protest against the methods of the court. A contemporary critic of the trials, Robert Califf, wrote, Giles Corey pleaded not, not guilty to his indictment, but would not put himself upon trial by the jury. And knowing there would be the same witnesses against him, rather chose to undergo what death they knew he would put him to. As convicted witches, Rebecca Nurse and Martha Corey had been excommunicated from their churches and proper and denied proper burial. So that answers your question. Yep. They're not burying these people. Just leaving if them. They, and if they are, they're just throwing them in a mass grave. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if you can go to their graves today. In Salem. Uh, yeah, because there's a lot of shit about their memorial. Um, we're actually, just a spoiler alert for the show, I actually cut it out just because I wanted to mostly talk about the witch trials. Yeah. But there is a huge portion on this where they have a huge memorial set up, and they do a lot of, like, re-justice to the people that were killed in this um, That's cool. setting. So, yeah. yeah. I want. I really want to go to Salem in October, like, and just see all the stuff that goes on, because there's some cool stuff that happens yeah. there. Yeah. Um. So... They were denied proper burials, excommunicated, and as soon as the bodies of the accused were cut down from the trees, they were, they were thrown into a shallow grave, and the crowd dispersed. So, you know, maybe they didn't even put dirt on them or anything. Oral history claims that the families of the dead reclaimed their bodies after dark and buried them in unmarked graves on their families' properties. The record books of the time do not note the deaths of any of those ex- executed. Oof. Okay, so here's where we get into the evidence um and there's a lot of crazy shit in here so we're gonna start off the spectral evidence and we're gonna go into a couple theories that they use to actually like know if they were r- r- real witches um also before i continue when do you have to go to work because i don't usually go right now so yeah uh spectral evidence we're gonna hop in um much but not all of the evidence used against the accused was spectral evidence or the testimony of the afflicted who claimed to see the operation or the shape of the person who was allegedly afflicting them the theological dispute that ensued about the use of this evidence was based on whether a person had to give permission to the devil for his or her shape to be used to afflict. Opponents claimed that the devil was able to use anyone's shape to afflict people, but the court contended that the devil could not use a person's shape without that person's permission. Therefore, when the afflicted claimed to see the apparition of a specific person, that was accepted as evidence that the accused had been complicit with the devil. Dude, that's really shitty. Because mm-hmm. all that person has to do is be a schizo and see someone else that they know and be like, that person's a devil because they talked to the devil and they let the devil use their person. They came and spoke to me. And this person literally just has an undiagnosed mental illness. Yeah, And definitely. they're putting people to death because of it. Yeah. So 
Uh, so Cotton Mather's book, The Wonders of the Inv- Invisible World, was written with the purpose to show how careful the court was in managing the trials, which I'm skeptical on. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the work did not get released until after the trials had ended. In his book, Mather explained how he felt spectral evidence was presumptive and that it was alone was not enough to warrant a conviction. Well, obviously. Yeah. Robert Califf, a strong critic of Cotton Mather, stated in his own book titled More Wonders of the Invisible World. <laughs> dude, that's funny. <laughs> Why not, dude? I made money off the first book. Let's make another one. Dude, it's, like that, it's like that podcast, The Darker Things Podcast. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the guys that are trying to steal our show from us. Dude, they literally dropped that shit after we released. They're like, we're the Darker Things Podcast. I'm like, fuck you guys. You're not shit. <laughs> Don't listen to them. Go give them a one-star review. <laughs> Hey, no, no, no. <laughs> leave him be, leave him be. <laughs> so this guy just like throws a low punch to him by doing the more wonders of the invisible world and accused, uh, the accused would not be brought to trial such as the cases of Tatuba and Dorcas Good. There's another Dorcas written Another Dorcas. Uh, Increase Mather and other ministers sent a letter to the court. The return of several ministers consulted urging the magistrates not to, con- not to convict on spectral evidence alone. Um, ru- spectral evidence was inadmissible, which caused a dramatic reduction in the rate of convictions and may have hastened the end of the trial. So that's good. That's some good news. Yeah. Saying that you can't just, you can't just make up this stuff and use it to convict someone. But we're already, the body count's so high that it didn't do much. But it, put, it kind of slowed it down a little bit. Um, magistrates at Salem were looking for a, were in a predicament in allowing spectral evidence since the jurist, Sir Matthew Hale had permitted his evidence supported by the eminent philosopher, physician, and author Thomas Brown to be used in the Bury St. Edmund's witch trial and the accusations against two Loftstow women. The colonial magistrates also accepted its validity and other trials proceeded. Hmm. Okay. Um, any thoughts on that or... I'm just, I'm just glad that finally they just said, look, you can't just have spectral evidence and convict someone because yeah. that's not palpable ev- evidence, not physical no. evidence. But on the contrary, we're about to get into the most fucked up testing there is. Okay, so y'all ready for this? This is called the witch cake evidence. The witch cake evidence. <laughs> witch right? cake. So according uh, to a March 27th, 1692 entry by Paris in the records of the Salem Village Church, a church member and close neighbor of Reverend Paris, Mary Sibley, um, directed John Indian, a man enslaved by Paris. Oh, God, dude. Yep. Okay. To make a witch cake. This may have been a superstitious attempt to ward off evil spirits. According to an account attributed to the Diodat Lawson, um, this happened around March 8th, over a week after the first complaints had gone out that three women were arrested. Lawson's account describes this cake a means to discover witchcraft and provides provides other details such as that it was made from rye meal and urine from the afflicted girls and was fed to a dog. In the church records, Paris describes speaking with Sibley privately on March 25, 1692, about her grand error and accepted her sorrowful confession. After the main sermon on March 27th, the wider congregation was dismissed. Paris addressed the covenanted uh, church members about it and admonished all the congregation against going to the devil for help against the devil. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Like, oh my god. Okay, let's talk about this one. So I finish this paragraph. <laughs> he stated that while calamities that had begun on his own household 
It never break forth to any considerable light until diabolical means were used by the making of a cake by my Indian man. Oh God, dude, the language. Okay. Who had his direction from his, uh, this, our sister, Mary Sibley. This doesn't seem to square with Lawson's account dating it around March 8th. The first complaints were February 29th and the first arrests were March 1st. All right. So can I just say like <laughs> he had a, he had a man enslaved that was an Indian. No, and I, he named him John Indian. Yeah. Dude. Yeah, it's so fucked, bro. Dude. Like, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, let's be real for a second. Because the way I was um, raised and um, taught when I was growing up was that, you know, Christopher Columbus did a great thing for America. Like, obviously, we colonized and did everything we did, but we should be proud for our country, right? It wasn't until I gained more education and, like, really looked at, like, the world as a whole where I realized how fucked it was what we did to America when we colonized it, you know, literally pushing the Indians out. And then looking at this, where now we have a black man being enslaved, and he's named after Indians. He literally has Indian as his last name, and we know he's not an Indian. He's definitely mm-hmm. black. Yeah. So, like, this is just so fucked up, you know? Yeah, it is. But anyway. Oh, boy. And then let's talk about the going to the devil for help against the devil. <laughs> yeah. There is such a lack of logic in this in this whole city in this or in this whole town in this whole time period. Yeah. Well, it's like okay, this witch cake thing, like how crazy is that, right? You're literally going to take the urine of someone that's afflicted, put it in a rye cake, feed it to a dog, and that's going to tell you if someone's a witch. Yeah. Like how? Are you are you going to look at the dog see if it spits it out or what? <laughs> yeah. She's a witch. Or the wait, dog didn't want it. Actually, sorry, I apologize because it wasn't it. It was supposed to ward off witches, right? Or was it supposed to tell them? It was supposed to tell them. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. All right. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Tituba. Let's see, hold on. Oh, we started traditionally. I don't think we did that part. Oh, yeah. Traditionally, the alleged affected girls are said to have been entertained by Paris's other slave, Tituba. A variety of secondary sources, starting with Charles W. Upham in the 19th century, typically relate that a circle of the girls, with Tituba's help, tried their hands at fortune-telling. They accused... they. They used the white of an egg and a mirror to create a primitive crystal ball to de- to divine the professions of their future spouses and scared one another when one supposedly saw the shape of a coffin instead. The story is drawn from John Hell's book about the trials, but in his account, only one of the girls, not a group of them, had confessed to him after that said she had once tried this. Hell did not mention Tatuba as having any part of it, nor did he, identi- nor did he identify when the incident took place. But the record of Tatuba's pretrial examination holds her giving an energetic confession, speaking before the court of creatures who inhabit the invisible world and the dark rituals which bind them together in service of Satan. Okay, so, she, <laughs> dude, if she said this to a congregation of Puritans, their faces must have been just like, oh, damn. Like, yeah. their faces must have been just pure white. Oh, I'm sure. Because, because Tatuba came from, where was it, Barbados? Uh, uh, yes. Somewhere in the Caribbean, but she was Carib Indian and African descent. So she was already entrenched in like those beliefs. Yeah. And Christianity already hated on those beliefs because they, they thought that anything like indigenous religion was of the devil. Right. Like that's just blasphemy. And real quick, I do kind of want to break this apart a little bit just to kind of go into like at least our religion. I don't know about Puritans, but I know like if you were use the word devil, it's not a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. But I know for our religion, um 
when you would drop the S word, when you would say Satan, that was like super taboo. Like you could say the devil, but if you said the S word, you couldn't because that gave him too much power. And it was the same with Lucifer. Like yeah. if you use those two words, it was so taboo. You were looked down upon because it's like you're giving him power by saying his name. Don't and, say it. And devils and devil, like they, they I use that term interchangeably because devils can also mean demons. True. Whereas the devil or Satan or Lucifer, that's like the ultimate demon. Right. The biggest one. Yeah. So Tatuba's race has often been described in later accounts as of Carib Indian or African descent, but contemporary sources describe her only as Indian. Um, researcher Elaine Breslaw has suggested that Tatuba may have been captured in now what is Venezuela, brought to Barbados, and then have become an Arawak Indian. Other slightly later descriptions of her by Governor Thomas Hutcherson writing in the Massachusetts Bay Colony in the 18th century, described her as a Spanish Indian. In that day, that typically meant a Native American from the Carolinas or Georgia or Florida. Dude, all this workaround is just say they're an Indian. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh, they're from Barbados, but then they came here. And then at the very end, they're just a Native American from Florida. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? <laughs> all right. She so. was just taboo, I think, in that colony. Yeah. Like, she's just so... They, there's so much they don't understand about her that they just want to mess with her. Too much culture. Can't have that, right? Yeah. There's too much differing culture from the white Anglo-American Puritan colony. Yep. Got to keep it. She just doesn't fit in. Nope. Get her out. She doesn't fit in. So with that, we got um, basically the last test there is, which is the touch test. So the most infamous application of the belief in effluvia was the touch test used in Andover during preliminary examinations in September 1692. Paris had explicitly warned his congregation against such examinations. If the accused, which touched the victim while the victim was having a fit and the fit stopped, observers believed that meant the accused was the person who had afflicted the victim, as several of those accused later recounted. We were blindfolded and our hands were laid upon the afflicted persons, they being in their fits and falling into their fits at our coming into their presence, as they said. Some led us and laid our hands upon them, and then they said they were well and that they were guilty of afflicting them, whereupon we were all seized as prisoners by a warrant from the justice of the peace and forthwith carried to Salem. The Reverend John Hale explained how this is supposedly worked. The witch, by the cast of her eyes, sends forth a malfic venom into the bewitched to cast him into a fit, and therefore the touch of the hand doth by sympathy cause that venom to return to the body of the witch again. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. Alright, thoughts? <laughs> Dude, it's just like it's just all craziness. Like, how do they even come up with these ideas? Dude, honestly, bro. Hey, like, you got somebody tied to a table Yeah. and they're just sitting there, they're laying down, they don't know what the hell's going on and then like 20 men come into the room and they're all just like ready to get handsy and they're blindfolded dude like how creepy would that scene be of course you're gonna start thrashing and being like what yeah like you're like get me the hell out of here (laughs) and you're thrashing and they're like oh it's the devil he's manifesting himself in this person straight up like it's just so illogical so illogical there's so much like sus stuff going on right now like with this whole scenario because i mean okay that last part i just want to go for that again because it's so funny the malefic venom Goes from the witch's eyes into that person, gets them into a fit, and if they touch them, the venom goes back into the devil's body. Like, that shit is just so whack. Where are they coming up with this stuff? Whoever wrote that more (laughs) Wondrous Adventures book. 
they added that in. The one Part two, I found another way to test it. The Adventures of Tim Tam or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> whatever it was, yeah. Dude, I just think it, I think that's so funny how they're like more about the wonder, and it's like a totally book just crapping on it. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm sure that's where the witch cake came from. Like all these theories, I'm sure he added in. Like literally, no joke. He's like, all right, so I can put more fuel on the fire. This is how you find a witch. This is what they yeah. do. Blah, blah. Or to prolong it even, like saying, okay, well the witch cake didn't work. Let's do the touch test. <laughs> oh, my God. The touch test, dude. <laughs> the proctor exam. Yeah. No, like, okay, this is basically, like, <laughs> was it 2004 when all those, like, female bloggers, like, stay-at-home moms started, like, going off? Like, oh, I have a blog about cooking. Oh, I have a blog about how to parent. Like, you know, all those female oh, bloggers yeah, came out. yeah, became the craze, yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, it's still kind of happening today. But, like, dude, that's basically what this guy is doing right now. He's going over the witchcraft craze, but blogging. For sure. Book form. So the last trial was held in May 19, or excuse me, I'm dyslexic. <laughs> uh, the last trial was held in May 1693. Public response to the events continued. In the decades following the trials, survivors and family members sought to establish the innocence of the in- individuals who were convinced to gain compensation. There was uh, the first, sorry, the first indication that public calls for justice were not over occurred in 1965 when Thomas Mall, a noted Quaker, publicly criticized the handling of the trials by the Puritan leaders in chapter 29 of his book, Truth Held Forth and Maintained, explaining, expanding on increase Mather by, by stating, it were better that 100 witches should live than that one person be put to death for a witch, which is not a witch. For publishing this book, Mall was in prison 12 months before he was tried and found not guilty. <laughs> So he's like just nice. trying to he's doing like an expose on them. Yeah. And they just put him in jail. This is literally their 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 uh solution to every problem. Yep. <laughs> Either throw the person in jail or call him a witch. Yep. It's ridiculous. It seriously is so it's such an injustice. It was. It's and, terrible. And it just goes into fact to show how bad of a craze it was. Mm-hmm. It controlled everything, you know. On December 17th, 1696, the general court ruled that there would be a fast day on January 14th, referring to the late tragedy raised among us by Satan and his instruments (laughs) on that day. So we're going to go without food in order to prevent this from happening again. Which just puts people into more hysteria because now you're starved. So, of course, more crazy shit's going to happen after you do that. Dude, it kind of reminds me of the fast, like, to end coronavirus. Do you remember that one? Oh, God, yeah. So stupid. Like, when this first started happening, there was, like, a worldwide fast to end coronavirus, and now we're entering, like, month seven, and it's the worst it's ever been. Yep. Okay, real quick. I know we're getting, like, slow on time, but, like, fasting in general, stupid. Because you're doing that to see spiritual things or get revelation. All you're doing is depriving yourself of food, and you're going to see shit. Yeah. It's the same thing as if... You're becoming... You're entering a weakened state. So this is dumb, but anyway, keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew's two cents. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on that day, Samuel Sewell asked Reverend Samuel Willard to read aloud his apology to the congregation of Boston South Church to take the blame and shame on the late commission of Oyer and Terminer at Salem. Thomas Fisk, so that, oh, at least there was an apology. That's important. Thomas Fisk and 11 other trial jurors also asked for forgiveness from 1693 to 1697. Robert Califf, a weaver and a cloth merchant in Boston, collected correspondence court records and petitions and other accounts of the trials placed them for contrast along portions of Cotton Mather's Wonders of the Invisible World under the title More Wonders of the Invisible World. Caliph would not get it published in Boston 
and he had to take it to London where it was published in 1700. Scholars of the trials, Hutchinson, Uppen, Burr, and even Poole, have relied on Caliph's compilation of documents. John Hale, a minister at Beverly, who was present at many of the proceedings at completing his book, A Modest Inquiry into the Nature of Witchcraft, in 1697, which was not published until 1702 after his death, and perhaps in response to Caliph's book. Expressing regret over the actions taken, Hale admitted, Such was the darkness of that day that tortures and lamentations of the afflicted and the power of former presidents that we walked in the clouds and could not see our way. So, literally so, just a couple years later, they're realizing we messed up big time. Yeah. And the crazy thing is they're still writing books. <laughs> yeah. The craze is still happening, dude. Doesn't end. It is. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of, I kind of am interested in all this. Like, it's sad and everything that it happened, but like, do you think, and I wanted to save this question for the end yeah. of the show, do you think there was any sort of paranormal events that gave this any type of legitimacy? No. You'd say no? No. I think maybe at the beginning, if we're going to bring in the paranormal, I think it may have started with that. But at this point, no. They're literally just accusing everyone. Yeah, obviously it didn't happen to everybody that died, the hundreds of people that died. Yeah. But you think that possibly in the beginning it could have been something nefarious or per- or possibly. supernatural? It could have been something that someone was feeling too. But I believe where it first started, it could have been. But I don't know. With England too, like maybe they just pulled it from that. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I don't think so. Okay. I I my mind kind of thinks of possessions. Okay. And how people go through those crazy events of like speaking different languages and stuff. And obviously, there's an explanation behind that, maybe. And we'll talk about possessions at a later episode, but. It could have been something like that, the first one or two. Yeah. But And that's what started the craze in colonial America. Because without Salem, we really didn't have witch trials in the U.S. No. Yeah. In the colonies. Um, so I think it drew heavily from the English witch hunting. And it was just a craze that blew up like a powder keg. Yeah, straight up. Yeah. <laughs> Pace 22, go watch the stream. <laughs> <laughs> um. What do you think? Do you want to skip all the way down to medical theories? or, or Let's actually, go ahead. Yeah, we can read the medical reports. Actually, hop in. If you want to finish up with repentance, because it kind of goes into some cool stuff right there. Okay. Read those last two. Right. Repentance was, evidence, was evident with the Salem Village Church. Reverend Joseph Green and other members of the church voted on February 14, 1703, after nearly two months of consideration to reverse the excommunication of Martha Corey. On August 25, 1706, when Ann Putnam Jr., one of the most Active accusers joined the Salem Village Church. She publicly asked forgiveness. She claimed that she had not acted out of malice, but has been deluded by Satan into denouncing innocent people. Oh my. (laughs) So now she's blaming Satan for accusing people of being afflicted by Satan. Like, literally, you're shooting yourself in the foot at this point. Yep. You're still a witch. I don't... (laughs) It's frustrating, man. Dude, it's so bad. Mentioning Rebecca Nurse in particular, she was accepted for full membership. So, so literally, Ann Putnam was like, she is influenced by the devil, so she's a witch. And then, like, ten years later, she's like, hey, guess what? I was influenced by the devil by telling on these people. Yep. And it just goes to speak that they felt guilty afterwards, you know? Like, yeah. oh, shit, I'm going to get this off my chest. I'm going to have an out. Here we go. You know? But you're just digging yourself a further hole at this point, you know? Like, you think that really consoled her in the end? Like, she comes out and says this, like, ten years later. 
Like, I don't think that gave her any comfort. I hope it didn't. Yeah. Fuck her for doing <laughs> that October 17th, 1711, so now we're going into like 30, 40 years after all this happens, the general court passed a bill reversing the judgment against the 22 people listed in 1709 petition. So now they're acknowledging, hey, this was all BS. Yep. Two months later, on December 17th, 1711, Governor Joseph Dudley authorized monetary compensation to the 22 people in the 1709 petition. The amount was 578 pounds. Twelves was authorized to be divided among the survivors and relatives of those accused, and most of the accounts were settled within a year. But Philip English's extensive claims were not settled until 1718. Finally, on March 6, 1712, Reverend Nicholas Noyes and members of the Salem Church reversed Noyes' earlier excommunications of Rebecca Nurse and Giles Corey. So they're hmm. basically saying, like, okay, we're not going to excommunicate you anymore. Come back to church. At this point, I would say, hell no. Yeah, be like, fuck you guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, you are literally the sole cause of all of this. Okay, okay. Like, get There's this. no way I want to be a part of any of this hell anymore. No. Hell no. Well, okay, imagine being in jail or, like, one of these court meetings and, like, Everyone's died before you. You're getting to the end, and they're like, all right, actually, you know, it, this was all a prank. It was a good prank. You're actually not excommunicated. We want you to come back to church. You're fine. After people before you just got killed for the same thing. Yeah. Dude, like, I, it's just a train wreck, bro. At the very end, they're realizing their errors, and now it's just, like, so It would have been better for them to not acknowledge and just swept all this under the rug. Seriously, because by them yeah. going back and saying, we screwed up on this, you're not excommunicated anymore, you're lit- they're literally giving themselves an even worse name and reputation and digging their hole even deeper. Yep. And I know that's sad to say, like, it's good they're acknowledging this, but they should have just done what churches have done since the beginning of time and just not acknowledge their faults. Yep, exactly. You just cover it up. <laughs> yeah, just you to cover, cover up, up. Because by at this point, they're literally, it's just a shit show. Well, because, I mean, this whole thing right here probably caused a lot of people to leave the church. The only way churches can keep people in their fold is you have to cover it up. You have to redirect. You have to bring something else out. Like, absolutely, you cannot let people find this stuff. Yep. By mentioning their faults, that's honorable of them, and I appreciate they did that. But if I was like, I would have done it differently. Yep. If There's the- no way there'd be any acknowledgement because that is literally just saying we just mur- we literally murdered innocent people. Yep. Exactly. Um, last thing that we were going to go over real quick is the medical explanations that could have attributed to these um, witches. So with that, um, this main article comes from the medical and psychological explanations of bewitchment. Um, this is also sourced in the Wikipedia article, but it says the cause of the symptoms of those who claimed affliction continues to be a subject of interest. Various medical and psychological explanations for the observed symptoms have been explored by researchers, including psychological hysteria and response to Indian attacks. Convulsive uh, ergotism caused by eating rye bread made from grain infl- infected by the fungus uh, Claviceps purpurea, a natural substance from which LSD is derived, an epidemic of bird-borne uh, encephalitis, lethargica, and sleep paralysis to explain the nocturnal attacks alleged by some of the accusers. Some modern historians were less inclined to focus on bio. Uh, logical explanations, preferring instead to explore motivations such as jealousy, spite, and the need for attention to explain the behavior. Um, I don't know, Hunter, what's your take on that? Do you think it's more... That's really cool. I think, like, the eating rye bread can cause, like, LSD hallucinations Yeah. back then because of the the way they prepared it. The fungus, Um, yeah. Psychological, like, PTSD from Indian attacks. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> that's the one I don't agree with, bro. I'm like, what the fuck? No, dude. Like, seriously, it could have been. Like, how would you get any sleep on the frontiers of America knowing that, like, hey, 200 yards away, dense, <laughs> dense forest full of Indians? <laughs> fuck. Mm-hmm. Dude, like you would not be able to get sleep at night no i'm sorry you, i wouldn't no you may have a gun but that shit takes two minutes to load <laughs> yeah and like, if you miss your first yeah. shot you're fucked. if you miss your first shot that guy's already popped off 20 arrows yep you're done you're done. And it's literally you the head of a house versus a tribe of like 50 indians attacking straight up so i would have some ptsd probably <laughs> enough to like be a witch though and start accusing people and being... i don't know dude <laughs> It's just all a really, really messed up story. Okay, so like real quick though, with the fungus that can get into the rye if it's not prepared correctly, um, which is derived from LSD, that is a great explanation though, okay? Aside from like the jealousy and spite and need for attention, which I definitely believe in um, in this case, I think this LSD, LSD bread rye that they were eating like definitely could have fucked them up, you know? Yeah. Like if you're on LSD, hell yeah, you're going to be having fits. For sure. You know? <laughs> Yeah, okay, well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up at that point. Yeah. Um, did you have any final thoughts, Andrew? No, that's it for me. This shit's crazy. I'm good to be, or glad to be over it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad we dived into it because I only knew the basic high school definition of what the Salem Witch Trials were, so I'm glad we found out all this back backstory information on it. Yeah, same. And uh, with that, I'll go ahead and close this up. So this is um, Dark Things Podcast, Season 3, Episode 3. This is Part 2 of the Salem Witch Trials. Uh, like usual, if you uh, listen to us on Apple Podcasts, go and leave us a five-star review. That greatly helps, and we obviously read those and uh, change our show based on what we hear. So please give us some feedback. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We pl- uh, post regularly on all three of those, and whichever you prefer, go and use that. Um, with that, we're going to close out our show. Um, stay frosty. Make sure to listen to us next week. See ya. <laughs>